Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat, episode 116 for September the 10th, 2013. I'm Chester Wisniewski, and my guest, as always, is Paul Ducklin. Welcome back, Paul. Hello, Chester. It's good to have you again. Uh, I, I was thinking about how, since you've been uh, getting more regimented with the way we do the chat chat, we've been a lot more consistent, pretty much every two weeks on the spot, and uh, I have you to thank for that. I appreciate your your help and encouragement and preparation. I'm glad you are keeping regular, Chester. Duck is the fiber of my life. Thanks, Duck. Um, there's been some some problems with uh, uh, Google Authenticator. So, you know, here on the chat chat, and even we've done uh, technos in the past talking about two-factor authentication and the, the added security, even if it's not, you know, maybe the perfect way to do it with an app on your phone or an SMS, that it's a lot more protection, obviously, than a password offers you. So it's uh, we're encouraging people to use it. But some people kind of got burned, especially Apple users using Google's Authenticator. Um, what exactly happened? Well, Chester, there was an update, as happens, to applications. And if you were on iOS using Google's Authenticator app, that's the, the program that has a, a secret that it shares with the server that it uses to generate these one-time time-based codes that you can log in. Uh, when you did the upgrade, it uh, forgot about all your accounts. So you could no longer generate the login sequences. So you effectively, by doing the upgrade, you locked yourself out of all the accounts that you had uh, one-time passwords or two-step verification for. Rather a shabby oversight by Google, I'd say. you think they would have tested a little better. So there's, there's no way to recover these secrets, right? I mean, the, 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 I guess there is if you do what I do, which is I, uh, you know, when you sign up using Google Authenticator for something, they ask you to uh, take a picture of a QR code to make it simpler to enter in the secret. And uh, I've gotten in the habit of keeping those QR codes as photos in my in my gallery so that I can have kind of a backup of, of the secret, if you will. There's also a character version that you can type in that's base32 encoded um, that has the secret you need for each account. So, yes, if you've, if you've got the QR code or the base32 text string, you can start again. If you didn't keep that, then you're kind of sunk. You have to reset your account. And of course, you can't log in to turn off two-factor authentication. So you'll need to do uh, account recovery by whatever means is required for that account. The good news is, although it's also bad news because one wonders how this could happen, is actually the Authenticator app didn't delete the stuff. It just forgot to display it. People who went and labored through recreating their accounts and re-entering shared secrets and regenerating authentication sequences when they did an update to the iOS app, they actually found they had two of every account because the old ones magically came back. And I'm not sure which is worse, that they were properly deleted by mistake or that they gave the impression that they were deleted, causing you to go and do stuff when in fact they were there all along. Well, Google's had a bit of a struggle with security-related issues, so uh, we'll, just, we'll just chalk up another uh, mark on the tally this time, I guess. Uh, Apple's got a little bit of bugs going on, but as usual, there, there doesn't seem to be any announcement of when or how you might fix the problem. But the first one's the one that, that uh, well, actually, both of them bother me. The first one is, is some magical UTF characters that can crash any Apple device, whether it's iOS or uh, OS X. And, I mean, how does something like that happen? Uh, is, this like a, is this a kernel problem? Is this something really central to the entire, the entire computing experience? Or... As far as I can see, Chester, there's a bug in a library called Cortext, which deals with 
text rendering for a whole slew of applications uh, on OS X and iOS devices. So that's applications like Safari, Chrome, text messaging applications. Even the app that lets you pick from the list of wireless networks uses this library to render text. And it just so happens that there are 11 bytes. That was the shortest string I could come up with. 11 bytes corresponding to six UTF-8 characters. Uh, they happen to include some Arabic characters. So maybe this has to do with right to leftness or direction changes in the middle of the text. I don't know. But if you try and render those characters, bang, the app crashes. Annoyingly, when I was doing the testing, Safari remembered that it was trying to connect to my web server that was serving the dodgy page. And of course, every time I restarted Safari, it would try and reconnect to the server. If the server was live, it would send the same file again and Safari would crash yet again. Uh, no word yet from Apple on uh, when they plan to fix it. So that kind of reminds me of the second item uh, that we had under Apple for this podcast, which is a flaw in sudo, which is a, a, a command line uh, application that you use to elevate yourself to be root. Um, normally, of course, you have to know the correct passphrase in order to get sudo to grant you those uh, super user privileges, as they're often called. Um, and there's, there seems to be a privilege escalation flaw there. I think this is something I thought you wrote about this last spring. Yes, the, it, was a, it was a flaw in sudo that means that under some circumstances, if you could manage to set the clock back to the beginning of the Unix epoch, the 1st of January 1970, then you had by default a five-minute window when you could magically make yourself root uh, without having to know the password. This was poor coding in sudo. The guys fixed it very quickly, and the patch went out you know, within a couple of days, and that was back in February, if I remember. Apple just never got around to updating the version of sudo that they ship with OS X. Although this isn't a massive flaw, it is a rather dangerous elevation of privilege vulnerability, not least because an unprivileged user can change the time and date on OS X. You don't need to know the password to set the time back to 1970, and if the planets are aligned when you do that, then you have five minutes during which you can be root. So it is a non-trivial bug, and it really ought to be fixed by now. So the next topic I wanted to chat about today was the um, Facebook releasing some interesting statistics about the number of times governments have requested information on, I guess you might call them uh, citizens of the nation of Facebook. And uh, there, there was some pretty interesting data in there. I mean, the 11 and 12, somewhere between 11 and 12,000 requests received uh, from U.S. authorities uh, affecting about 20,000 different Americans. Is it, is it a good thing or a bad thing if you're at the top of the list of requesting data on your citizens? The country where you are most likely to be a Facebook user who has your data probed by the authorities in your country is Malta. Now, if you are conspiracy theory minded, you would notice that Malta is quite close to the North African coast. Its closest neighbor country is Libya. Maybe that's the reason. Or maybe it's just the fact that it's not a very populous country, has less than half a million people. So if they were doing one biggish investigation relating to cybercrime, then maybe they did their comparatively small absolute number of requests all at one go. But to be fair, the US, they asked for about 120 users out of every million over the period, I think it was six months, they had their data probed by the authorities. Italy, 100 users per million. 
Germany was 80 and so forth. Is it bad to be high in that list, which may actually simply show that your cops are interested in doing something lawfully about cybercrime? Or is it good to be at the very bottom where you're actually not using an investigative resource, which is somewhere where you might get useful information about crookery? Russia, for example, I believe in all of that time, in that six-month period, had one request to Facebook for data. Yeah, I, th I think in the case of Russia, most Russians don't use Facebook, they use vContact. And so the data would have to come from them to do any kind of a fair comparison. But it is interesting data. And I, I am happy that Facebook is sharing that data along with Google and other companies, because I think being open about complying with legal requests gives people comfort that it's not being abused. It seems like it's an obligatory segment on the chat chat to have a discussion about phishing, unfortunately. And the most recent phishing that uh, we've looked into is related to a WordPress authentication phish, which is kind of interesting because I know there's a giant botnet out there right now brute force attacking WordPress installations. It appears these crooks perhaps decided to bypass the brute force and just ask you nicely for the password. Clearly what the crooks have done, trolled the web, looking for sites which have a WordPress installation, which of course you can do by going to the slash WP admin page and seeing if a login screen pops up. If it does, you know that that site's got some WordPress going on. Then look on the main page to see who is the administrative contact or the web designer responsible for the site, grab their domain name, and you know, web designers understandably advertise on sites that they've created, stick the word info in front of the domain name, send them the email suggesting that there's some WordPress related activity they need to do on that site. You should spot the fish. There's a mismatch between the domain that it takes you to and the domain that it's asking you to log into. But again, if you're in a hurry, visually, the login screen is absolutely picture perfect. And the reason for that is they just rip the code straight out of WordPress. Yeah, that, that's a good point, Paul, because I, I was investigating some banking Trojans uh, and, and phishing stuff a few weeks ago, and the, the code was heisted directly from the bank's real login page. And, and I could tell because there was actually an error in the JavaScript, and the, the bug occurred both in the uh, real bank's login page as well as the code that the crooks were using on their page. So, Well, maybe, Chester, if we can't nobble them for bank robbery, then we can uh, get them for copyright infringement. Yeah, where are the copyright police when we need them? Be careful of what you wish for. <laughs> I was preparing for an event here in Vancouver this week and decided to do a little bit of war walking to see how we're doing on the wireless security front, since that's a topic that uh, you and I and some of our colleagues have been talking about for quite some time. And I just thought I'd briefly share a couple statistics that I, I think are kind of encouraging, at least here in Vancouver. I, I walked around uh, for folks that are familiar with you know, the general downtown area. I, I went from Coal Harbor to Yale Town. Uh, and over to Chinatown and, and up Robson Street in the main shopping district and this type of thing. And uh, I managed to survey 8,362 access points, and 81% uh, of those had WPA or WPA2 encryption enabled, which is quite encouraging. Um, only 4% were using WEP, which uh, is as good as not using any encryption, really, if you're concerned about protecting your data. No, it's slightly worse. Yeah, well, 1% uh, were ad hoc. And 14% were open. And of the ones that were open, I, I did a, a count. There was about 1,100 of them. Um, about 75% of them appeared to be either a coffee shop, a hotel, a restaurant, this type of thing, being kind to their guests. So I found those numbers quite encouraging. Uh, uh, any announcements from you, Paul? 
Yes, Chester, I'd just like to give a quick shout to Sophos Australia. For about a decade now, we've been uh, fans of an annual cybercrime conference run by the Queensland Police Service, where they try to get experts from around the world together, from law enforcement and from the private sector, and not just to talk about cybercrime, but to actually come up with what is each one of us going to do in the next 12 months that will make a difference. And they've had some spectacular successes against far-flung cyber crooks as a result. And anyway, at this year's conference, they had their inaugural partnership awards for community engagement by people in the private sector, and Sophos Australia won. So well done to everybody who's put time and effort into uh, doing their bit to fight cybercrime. Yeah, we, and, and I'd like to thank Rob Forsyth as well. I see you've got a photo of him in the uh, in Naked Security blog uh, about uh, about the partnership awards. So um, well done, guys. So that concludes Sophos Security Chat Chat episode 116. As always, our podcasts are available at podcasts.sophos.com. For the latest news, you can go to nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And of course, the podcasts are also available via RSS or on iTunes. Thanks for listening, and until next time, stay secure.